I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. So I would like to talk about physical pain. We have talked in this workshop about emotional pain, about mental pain. And for many of us, myself certainly included, I learn a lot of my lessons. We learn a lot of our lessons through messages we're getting from our bodies. Beyond that, the mind tends to be manipulative and complicated and tricky. It doesn't tell us the truth necessarily. The body tells the truth. The body tells you what's going on. And certainly we know that emotions are expressed in the body, emotion, moving energy. Emotions are simply energy in the body. Beyond that, if we are working with people who are suffering, particularly people who are dying, that very often these people are working with a body that is dramatically changing and often a body that has a lot of physical pain. So when I lived in Santa Fe, when uh, I ran the dying center, our local hospital, St. Vincent's Hospital, which we lovingly call St. Victims for some reason, had a volunteer chaplaincy program where if you had a certain level of qualification, they would give you a badge and you could go into any 
wing of the hospital and say, hi, I'm Dale from the volunteer chaplaincy department. Do you have any clients here that would be good for me to talk to? And the head nurse on that unit would say, this gentleman or this person here is suffering or dying, and it would be really good to talk. To, it would be great if you could talk to that person. Uh, if somebody came into that room and said, I'm from the chaplaincy department, and I hear you're dying, do you want to talk about it? Often people would say, who are you, and why are you in my room? But if you came into the room and said, I've heard that you're in physical pain, and I know a practice where uh, I think very probably you will be in less pain. Would you like to explore that together? No one ever said they didn't want to do that. So that having a way to work with people and work with their physical pain is often an entree into deeper conversations later on. So the first couple times you come in and you're doing the pain meditation, which we will explore just in a few moments. And then the third or fourth time you come in, you say, what's really going on with you? And, and the person says, well, I have metastatic cancer, and, and pretty soon you're having a really deep conversation. Physical pain is a very interesting and confusing and fascinating topic because the medical community has had a very difficult time quantifying pain. Two people can have exactly the same medical or dental procedure, and one of the persons is saying, are you done? That wasn't so bad. I thought this was going to be really painful. And the other person is screaming and saying, oh my God, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I can go to my dentist and say, I would like you to do that drilling on my tooth that will be, mean drilling on my nerve. I'd rather not have Novocaine. And she begs me to take the shot for her sake <laughs> because she, is, she doesn't want to cause me pain. Now, once again, we're going to be distinguishing here between pain, which is a physical experiencing of unpleasant sensation, and suffering, which is resisting pain. And the reason why pain is confusing is because it is very difficult to distinguish between pain and fear of pain. And what often is being medicated, what often is being reacted to, is not the pain itself, but the fear of pain. And there have been some studies done that show this very clearly. And one of them, Dr. Stan Groff, was funded by the National Institutes of Health many years ago to give three rather uh, small doses of psychedelic to people with terminal cancer as a, a possible intervention for dealing with their fear of death. Three sessions with LSD, 100 micrograms of LSD. And they found that this was very successful in helping people deal with fear of death uh, until finally the federal government decided they didn't want to be in the business of giving people psychedelic drugs, and they pulled the plug on the study. But what they found that really surprised them was that after the study, many of these patients experienced a highly significant reduction in their need for analgesic medication, although LSD has no pain-relieving properties. 
And the assumption, of course, is that the LSD alleviated their fear of pain. Their LSD gave them some experience of being much more spacious, a self-identification of, I'm not just this physical body. I have this body, but I'm also the whole universe, so that X amount of pain is bouncing around side of not just me, but the whole universe, so it's not such a big problem. In another study, and I don't have the reference for this, but uh, cancer patients that had severe cancer pain were taking massive doses of morphine, and that was replaced with a small dose of an antidepressant, a small dose of a muscle relaxant, and a small dose of morphine. So that the muscle relaxant and the antidepressant were kind of chemical pain meditation, and they were able to then deal with the pain because they weren't so much afraid anymore with a much smaller dose of medication. Now, I'm not here to in any way suggest that pain medication is a bad thing. I am here to suggest, however, that it is a shame for people to be overly medicated. It is a shame, particularly end of life, for someone to be taking so much medication that they're unable to communicate. Uh, I had a client uh, recently in the East Bay, really lovely woman, really remarkable woman, and I met with her. She was very vibrant and engaged with what was going on in her family. I came back a few days later, and she was non-responsive. She was like in a semi-comatose state. I asked her husband what had happened. He said, well, the hospice came. I won't mention which hospice it was. And they determined that she was going to be dying soon, so they upped the dose of three medications. And I looked at what she was taking, and it was really enough to put a horse to sleep, practically. And I suggested that he call up the hospice and say, why is she taking all of these medications? And he did. And they profusely apologized, said a mistake had been making, completely skipped two of the medications, and cut way back on the third one. And within half a day, this woman came back to consciousness. She started playing with the children and had a really very beautiful final week of her life. This was partly in response to the the pain she was feeling, but it was also the physical pain that the hospice was kind of assuming that who would want to be around for their own dying? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better just to be knocked out? So what we're saying here is that from physical pain, from emotional pain, from ways we've been talking about of letting go of attachment, many lessons can be learned. And what we call pain is really simply unpleasant sensation. And if one relaxes and opens to it in a certain way, in the way that we've been talking about relaxing and opening to and being present for uh, thoughts, emotions, that one can deal with physical pain in a much different way. And in a few moments, we will do this pain meditation. In fact, on the Living Dying Project website now is an audio file of me reading Stephen Levine's Softening into Pain. I think of all the wonderful things that Stephen did, among the most brilliant was the way he really brought Buddhist meditative attitudes and techniques to the encounter with physical pain. As I mentioned before, children are often conditioned to deal with pain in a certain way. 
They learn that the more fuss they make, the more they turn pain into an emergency, the more comfort and response they get from the, the parent. And is it possible to instead allow a child to feel pain and know that you love him or her, but at the same time be present and not buy into, oh, this is a really horrible emergency, but yeah, there's, that's a little problem and we can deal with this. Let's all calm down. Okay, so what I would like to do together is a pain meditation. It's a very simple one. Uh, when I was running the dying center in Santa Fe for a number of years, back in the days when people had cassette tapes, you remember those little cassette tapes, uh, even before CDs, the most popular cassette tape we had was the pain meditation. People could get lectures about dying and lectures about God, but what people wanted to do was deal with their physical pain. Uh, so somebody's lying in bed, uh, they might never get out of that bed, they're feeling physical discomfort. Is it possible that that physical discomfort can be something that is opening them and inspiring them to let go of strong identification with body and begin to identify more with living spirit. I mentioned before that I've had clients who were in great physical pain to the point of writhing in bed shortly before they died and when questioned saying that they had never felt better in their lives. Yes, the body was in pain, but that is allowing me to realize, at least partly from the pain itself, that I am much bigger than this. I am vast. And that the pain is simply one of the clouds in the sky of mind. Going back to Pema Chodron's quote that you are the sky and everything else is just the weather. So the sky is not affected by the rain or the clouds or the hail or the thunder or the lightning. The, the sky remains spacious and, and the, weather, the weather comes and the weather goes. To do this meditation, I would ask you to find a really stable sitting position or standing position where for just 10 minutes you don't move because we're going to be dealing with rather, rather subtle sensations. Often during meditation, it's fine to move around. In fact, while I'm saying this, let me even suggest that if you are a meditator, some of the times you meditate and you take a vow, I'm not going to move, and watch your reactions to unpleasant sensations as they arise. I meditated with Sri Gawenka back in India, and he would make us take a vow hour where you vowed not to move for an hour. And after 30 minutes, my vow was not to scream. That there was so much pain in my right knee that I just wanted to move, I wanted to move, but I had taken this vow. Several years later, after I came back to America, I was at a Goenka-style retreat with a man named Robert Hover. And toward the end of the retreat, my mind was very clear. I came in for an interview with him. He said, how is your practice going? I said, it's really going great, but I've got a lot of pain in my right knee. He said, would you like it to go away? I said, yeah, I'd love it to go away. He said, okay, well, let's meditate. 
So after about 30 seconds or so, we both dropped into a very concentrated alert state. He said, well, describe your pain to me. I said, well, there's like a hot ball of pain in my right knee. He said, is, is that connected with anything? I said, yeah, I'd never noticed this before, but there's a tendril that goes up to my right sit bone, my right buttock. Uh, and there's another ball of pain up there. He said, well, is that connected to anything? I said, well, yeah, there's a tendril that goes over to the left buttock, to the left sit bone. And there's a, a ball of pain there. He said, is there any other, is that connected? And I said, no, there's not. He said, okay, well, push the pain from the left sit bone over to the right. And I said, okay. And then he said, push the pain from the right buttock down to your right foot. I said, okay. And then he said, push it out your foot. And I did, and the pain was gone, and it never came back, ever once. And I had been sitting with that pain for years, thinking that I was feeling this pain because I have short Danish legs, and I'm putting my body into this yogic position of a full lotus that was hard on my body. And in fact, I don't know why or how the pain went away, but it seemed to show me that pain was not quite exactly what I thought it was. There was something locked in my body, and if I was with it clearly enough, it could dissolve. Okay, we are approaching this, though, not with that mindset. Maybe I shouldn't have set the meditation up with that story. We're not trying to make the pain go away. We're trying to be with it as openly as possible. So what I'd like you to do is let your attention scan through your body from the top of your head down to your feet and see if you can find a place in your body where there are relatively ongoing, relatively unpleasant sensations. Maybe you have a chronic condition, you have an injury, maybe you've been seated on a chair for a long time and there's pain in your butt. See if you can find some pain in your body, something that is unpleasant. It doesn't have to be a sharp upsetting pain, just something that's relatively unpleasant and is relatively ongoing. If you cannot find that place in your body, take three of your fingers and with the other hand, just gently bend those fingers back until you begin to experience some unpleasant sensations. Now, initially, I would ask you to relate to these sensations, these unpleasant sensations, as if they were the enemy, as if they were a threat. Wanting to avoid them, wanting to push them away, tightening, contracting against them. Pain is a problem. What does it feel like in your being when one part of your body is a problem? What does it feel like if you close yourself to one small part of yourself? Do you close yourself to all of yourself a bit? If you were pushing away pain all day long, would this be an exhausting experience? And might it be that some of the tiredness in your life is a result of unconsciously pushing away unpleasant sensation. Pushing away the pain, 
pushing away unpleasant sensation. Almost as if you could put up a boundary between this part of your body and your brain. What does this feel like? Investigate what happens to your mind, what happens to the rest of your body when you have this relationship with unpleasant sensation. And now we are going to drastically change our relationship with these sensations. Letting go of this notion that this part of your body, these sensations are an enemy or a threat, become curious about what it is that you are experiencing. What does it actually feel like? Particularly, is there a changing quality to the sensations? Is there a color? Is there a temperature? What shape is the pain? Is it connected to something else? Can you actually begin to befriend, become intimate with this part of your body? Softening, softening the flesh, softening your relationship with this part of your body, softening your heart, letting your relationship with these sensations inspire you to open your heart even more deeply to this part of your body and to all of yourself. Could you do this all day without getting exhausted? Would this relationship with unpleasant sensation interfere with you loving other people, with healing, with being present? Letting the sensations float in the vast heart-mind, the spacious heart-mind of compassion. Softening, softening the heart, softening the flesh, softening the relationship. Spacious heart, spacious mind. Letting the sensations float. Imagine that you were dying and you had unpleasant sensations in your body. And you had this relationship with those sensations. How much easier it would be to not resist the letting go of the body the letting go into living spirit, which is beyond the body. Letting your relationship with these sensations open you, open your heart, and then very gently and gradually coming back into a meditative experience of your body, the coming and going of the breath, the pressure of your clothing on your body, 
your feet touching the floor or whatever they might be touching. Once again, scanning your attention through your body. Are there other places where might be resisting? Maybe places of unpleasant sensation? Or even beyond that, places of deadness, places you can't feel. Can you feel deep, deep within your belly? Can you feel back behind your heart? Can you feel that place where your head rests on top of your spine? There are often, because of long-held conditionings, places in our bodies that we have abandoned. And we have abandoned the aliveness that is inherent in the inhabiting of all of who we are. Can we be curious, not being afraid of unpleasantness, of deadness? Going into those places that we have run away from as a way of learning to be with emotion, learning to be with thought, by fully inhabiting our physicality with this notion of softness, softness being, in a very direct way, the physical component of compassion, compassionate, soft relationship with muscles and tendons and organs, You might now think of something that has been difficult for you lately in your life, a relationship with a person, with money, with power, with whatever it might be. Can you think of something that has been difficult for you lately? And as you do this, does anything change in your body? Does something tighten in your body when you remember ways that you may have suffered? And can you do the same practice again? Instead of trying to untangle causation and what feelings actually mean, going into the body, going into the sensations that are intimately connected and attendant to these thoughts and emotions. Being willing to love, to become intimate with even this part of your body. And as we more fully inhabit, can we then allow our heart to, in a very natural and non-efforting way, to radiate compassion, first for each cell of our own bodies and then outward to all beings, those you love, those you care about, and those countless, countless people that you have never met. Almost everyone is suffering. Almost everyone is holding that suffering in their body. 
we look at others' faces and we see their uncried tears. Can you relate to your body in a way that allows us not to turn away each one of us from the suffering that we encounter? Can our body in this way be the gateway to transmuting suffering into wisdom, the wisdom of compassion. Coming back once again to the breath, opening your eyes, integrating this sense of receiving the wisdom of the body, the soft, compassionate relationship with sensation, integrating that into post-meditation. Many teachers say that the most important part of meditation is right after the bell rings, the post-meditation period. It's lovely to have a lovely meditation. How great. But if it stops at the bell and we go back into judgment and stress and those almost automatic responses to life, then I don't think meditation is too interesting. Can we really work in this moment of with bringing that softness into the next moment and the next moment. Learning to speak from this place, to move from this place, to let our bodies be the indicator of when we're getting lost. Coming back to the feeling of love and compassion that is in our body in a cellular way even. And being able to be truthful enough to be aware of those places in the body and those times in which we can't do that without repression, without judgment. Compassion is the path of a warrior. It is a daring practice. It involves the willingness to again and again go gently into places that are painful. And in that gentle movement, trusting that we, can our, that we can open our heart, we can open our heart even there. There are certain schools of spiritual practice where we try to fix the body or get beyond the body and those those practices can be useful i remember when i first started working with stephen and there was a lot of visualization about working with cancer and one of them was the the pac-man gobbling being going inside of your body and gobbling up the malignant cells but what would it be like to be able to love 
and soften to the part of your body that might kill you. What would be the more powerful practice? To see part of yourself as the enemy that needed to be subdued or excised or to be able to love it, which does not preclude taking chemotherapy and radiation and having a surgeon cut out part of that. When I was running the dying center, I found myself in the position of giving chemotherapy agents to some of our clients, some oral medications that were poisonous. And at first I felt some ambivalence about giving these toxic cocktails to these people that I had grown to love. came to the conclusion that I would, it would be like offering communion, that here is the body and the blood of Christ. I didn't really say that out loud, and it wasn't necessarily a Christian thing. But any relationship with body, with substance, can take on this quality of heartfelt sacredness. And the same chemical that one person sees as poison, the same chemical another person can see as uh, the body of the mother, the healing elixir. Are there any comments about healing pain, softening pain, before we go off for lunch? My experience of pain is that it is constricting. And it's constricting? Yeah, super constricting. <laughs> pain is constricting. Um, and I would suggest that pain is not constricting. That your auto, often automatic response to pain is to constrict. Okay, that pain, physical pain, maybe calling it pain, presupposes the reaction in a certain way. But there is nothing inherently present in unpleasant sensation that causes you to constrict. That is a conditioned response. And what this meditation was about is learning to create new neural pathways in your nervous system so that when you feel an unpleasant sensation, Rather than constricting, you say, ah, you don't really say that, but it's, ah, I can soften to this. I can, this can be the inspiration to open my heart even more deeply. Anybody else? Somebody was going to say something over there, I believe. Yeah, I wanted to see if I could practice this with my mother, see if I could get. So your mother is very elderly. Yeah, and she's in a lot of pain. And she's in a lot of pain. And certainly, not only can one do this practice for yourself, but you can guide another person in it. But even people who are a bit demented or a bit unconscious or whatever it might be, you can play the pain meditation uh, audio file from our website, or you can read it yourself, or you can make up your own version of it, somebody's in there. Somebody's in there responding to the sensations in their body. 
supposedly touch and the experience of physicality, pressure and things is one of the last things to go. Certainly to guiding your mother in a pain meditation would be a wonderful thing to do. You might ask permission first, then you might not say, hey, this is a Buddhist meditation, mom, but hey, here is a way to not feel so much physical discomfort through be able to open to this and allow yourself to feel more comfortable right now. Our relationship with pain can be a very strong aid to our spiritual practice, learning to soften, learning to be with the unpleasant in terms of physical sensation can very directly then begin to be expanded to being with unpleasant emotion, unpleasant thought. And for me, and I think for many people, a lot of that learning to not automatically run away from the unpleasant and grasp at the pleasant came initially from working with sensation. So I deeply encourage you to investigate and explore these things on your own. Thank you. 